sorry, Java update. That'll come up on the recording. <laughs> um, episode of Alpha Podflight, the podcast where every episode I am joined by a guest to talk about a single issue of the comic Alpha Flight. My name is Gareth A. Hopkins and this time I'm joined by Emmett. Emmett, could you introduce yourself to the listeners? Hello, my name is Emmett Okuna and while I don't sound like it, I'm calling you from Australia. Very um, here in Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a writer, I write comics, I write about comics, I podcast about comics, and I've wound up here in this other side of the planet to talk about a Canadian comic book, which is good, too. <laughs> Bit of a confusing uh, route there, yeah. Yeah, well, um, it's it's fine. I mean, I sort of half-declared myself the online expert in Alpha Flight without having read all of it, so... Um, I think we'll be all right. No, no competition for that title, I take it. Uh, there's, well, there's nobody else is claiming it, <laughs> but that's because mm. they're normal people um, who just like Alpha Flight and have a longer history with it than I do. But that's fine. We, we won't delve too far into that and my own personal insecurities about <laughs> this, because um, we're here to talk about uh, Alpha Flight number 16. Um, it's called And Forsaking All Others. It was made by John Byrne with Bob Wycheck is down as finisher rather than inker. Um, Andy Yankus was on colouring. Rick Park was the letterer. Denny O'Neill was the editor and Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. And this month they haven't done anything interesting with the credits, which, I don't know, sometimes they, they give themselves funny names, but they haven't this time. Right, so before we go into this, what is your history of Alpha Flight before uh, you came on the podcast? Well, I was listening to some of your um, older episodes, and, well, actually, the most recent episode with Bobsy. Yeah. And I think I read the same one as he did. Okay. Uh, because I have, a, I have a memory of a UK reprint. I think it was a Secret Wars tie-in, and it had a backup story at the end, and it featured the origin of the mass of the world from issue two, which we've, I think when we first talked about doing this podcast, I mentioned to you, this is the first one I remember. I have this very um, detailed memory of the individual panels, which describe the mass of the world's origin. Yeah. And it was burned into my brain because it, it, I think it traumatized me a little mildly. <laughs> so um, I know I actually read Alpha Flight as a kid I also, my dad lived in Canada for years. Uh, he was a teacher in Canada. And um, his claim to fame is that he, one of his students was John Travolta's now wife. Um, okay. Kelly, Kelly McDonald, is it? You know, she was in Midnight Cow, a um, few drugstore cowboy movies like that. Curly okay. Sue. And um, I would have talked to dad about this comic because, oh, there's Canadian superheroes now, dad. I, I remember that conversation. <laughs> so... It's this sort of, yeah, it always was a very niche title, and I was always aware of it as the other superheroes from Canada. Yeah. Um, and I think that made them slightly exotic to me. And then there was this thing that I could share with my dad because he had all these Canadian stories. And I was like, oh, there's this comic I've read, and it's also about Canadians. So I, I think that's that's my hook yeah. with the book. Oh, cool. That's, uh, mm. that's nice. Yeah. Um, I've sort of become retroactively... Uh, obsessed with Canada. Um, yeah. So I started reading Alpha Flight, and then I was like, Canada looks really interesting, and started <laughs> reading all sorts of books and just drinking maple syrup. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, as so, I've, I've talked about what issue we're going to talk about. Could you give a synopsis sure. of what happens in the comic? All right. Issue 16. So uh, the master of the world has Puck and Namor captive. In fact, the cover has a great Puck and Namor breaking free yeah. uh, action shot, which I think if I'd... Yeah, I know. But like, if I'd seen that on a shelf, I would have bought that comic. And that's yeah. what a, co a cover should be doing. Um, I mean, I guess if it was in the style of a traditional superhero comic book cover, he would have been murdering them. <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, oh, my God, I need to read this. Um, but no, they went the other route. Uh, so he has them captive. And the master of the world, who is this, I think, recurring John Byrne 
villain in Alpha Flight who always dies, yeah. <laughs> always gets killed at the end of a story. Uh, spoilers. He's the pinnacle um, of human superiority who cannot just win anything. He is terrible. He's just a total loser. And he <laughs> he confronts Namor um, with Marina, who is Namor's lover at this time. And now she's become more monstrous. So he's, look at your girlfriend. Look at her. She's ugly. And he, I'm, I'm going to get into this later, but like, there's some nice guyisms about that's the world, which I think is interesting. Um, <laughs> no, that's been discussed before, actually. We did one other episode uh, and about how he's got a tendency to mansplain. Yeah, he's he's an awful character. Um, the the neckbeard doesn't help. Um, the story then switches tack. Uh, to meanwhile in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, which is I think my favorite intro uh, to a panel. <laughs> I can imagine reading that as a kid and just trying to like voicing out those name place names in my head, like Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Yeah. Um, Jeffries meets Box, who reveals that he knows that Jeffries has this hidden talent. He's able to um, manufacture anything technological within an instant, like psychically. I, th- I think. Um, Cyspirior used him in X Club years later, and he, he more or less said he's he's a machine telepath. Um, yeah, that's he, his powers sort of evolved during the comic. So it, when he's introduced here, um, yeah, and I think it's the first time we've seen. It. We might have seen him. I mean, we saw him in Alpha Flight One, but just in silhouette, and nobody said who he was. Right. But um, he describes his powers here is I can make any machine, anything metal and glass and plastic, duplicate my own parts. Yeah. So in this instance, he's saying that he can make he can make like his body as a robot. But yeah. as Alpha Flight continues, uh, especially through Mantlo's run, and then I believe as he's picked up by the writers, his powers become uh, more extreme, and he can mm. do weirder things with them. But yeah, honestly, when I read that page, uh, my first impression was, oh, so he's got artificial limbs. Like yes. that's what I assumed. That's where I thought this was going. And he just—he looks like a regular Joe. Uh, he claims he's just somebody who—he uh, does sort of a working the road kind of jobs, you know. Um, but no, it turns out he's got this very sophisticated ability. Um, anyway, Box is asking Jeffries to investigate the murder of Guardian, and then we switch to. Guardian's widow, Heather, who's visited by guest star Wolverine yep. because she's a widowed redhead, so of course he's going to come calling. <laughs> That's what Wolverine does. And um, this section, so these these are the two sort of, uh, what do you call them, B-plots to this yeah, issue. Yeah, B and the and C-plot, yeah. So the episode with Heather opens with Not Quite Meanwhile. And because that's in Toronto and the previous uh, previous um, side segue was in Saskatchewan. I assume that's a time zone joke. Um, it could which, be. I think you know because it was meanwhile and then not quite meanwhile. Which, yeah, I, yeah, it, uh, yeah. It's it's weird. It's either John because he's obviously very John Burns very fastidious about the order in which things happen and who does what to what. Um, so either he's planned this out perfectly so he knows what mm. time Heather is in bed and he knows that even though he set it after like four o'clock in the afternoon in Saskatchewan, it's not the same it's evening time in, in Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. It's very, yeah. Okay. Fine, John. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> um, Greenwich meantime. Wonderful. Um, then we're back to the mass of the world and uh, we want to get, dig into this, but later on, but he gets, he confronts Marina with her true alien mate. One yes. of the Plodex race, and although we don't um, know, they called the Plodex yet. Oh, we did. We didn't know that yet. No. Oh, okay. Turns out that right. we found that out in uh, a team-up Spider-Man team-up issue. Because I, I'm, I've also read the recent Van Lente and Pack run on Alpha okay. Flight, and there's a lot of Plodex stuff sort of dropped into oh, that. Okay. So I've not read that. Yeah, I'm still catching up. It's very good. I'm, I'm not being I'm not being funny. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, and then we've got a, a nod to John Carpenter's The Thing, um, which would still have been a recent enough film for John yeah. Byrne to riff off of. Um, okay, so action sequence starts. Puck tricks the master, fakes his death, quotes the shadow, um, freeze <laughs> Namor. Sh- so, which is the shadow quote? 
he talks about how he trained in the Orient to um, fake his own death, and then he uses the Shadow's line about staring to the hearts of men or whatever it is, or I I can see what you're afraid of. So he's quoting the Shadow. Um, And I can see, I can imagine Puck like imitating Orson Welles doing the Shadow. I can see that, you know, doing this deep, deep baritone. Um, So Puck frees Namor, they flood the underwater base. Uh, which I love this. It's it's a giant fish as well, but that's another thing. Um, it's really it's, it's really Stingray. It's, so, it's like yeah yeah. Who's the baddie? I can't remember the baddie from Stingray, but it's like the the, the his submarine. Yeah, the the were they green as well? They were green they guys. Were, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, we'll they get too far into Stingray because I'll probably get all of that wrong. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they escape and on the. On the uh, by the seaside, uh, Puck comfort, uh, comforts Namor and the loss of Marina. They assume she's dead. Uh, Namor flies off, and then Marina just pops up from behind a rock. Puck knew she was there all along, and she just basically didn't want to go out with him anymore. And uh, the issue ends with her sort of idly wandering off into uh, into the sea, like the death of Reginald Perrin. You know, <laughs> she's off. She's gone, and that's where it ends. It ends on this sort of modern note. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot happens. A lot happens here. There is quite a lot that happens in this one. Um, some issues you go, you can get from one end to the other, and not a lot happens. And I think that it helps that this is like the second of a two-parter. Um, so, in the issue before this, uh, mm. Namor and Puck get captured, and it's, it's there's a bit of drama. But there's not a lot of action. There's lots of yeah. people talking to each other about how they feel, rather than punching each other because they feel angry. Uh, it's funny, just going, going back to what you were saying before, because you were um, saying, what's my association with Alpha Flight? Yeah. Uh, my association with Jan- John Byrne is with the graphic novel of his Man of Steel book that he did back okay. in the 80s. And I remember his introduction to it, where he talked about how he didn't like... How superhero comics now have um, so little going on, and he remembers a one-page Superman story where he visited Laurie Lamaris and then he fought another water foe, and then he rescued Laurie and they kissed. And he went back and he said that happened on one page. Yeah, and he was that was his that was his case that you know nowadays everything's really spaced out. It's going, but Jesus, John, maybe um, maybe that's really terrible pacing. <laughs> <laughs> That's very busy one page. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I've got this bug in my... I, I, I kind of wonder if John Byrne has been trying to recreate that Laurie Lamaris episode of Superman in Alpha Flight because Marina is a sort of Laurie Lamaris type and she also has Superman's origin story. So yeah. like she's found she's found my kindly old couple. I think they were called the Small Woods. That's right, actually. And she, and she, she takes on their on values, them. yeah. Yeah, and it's very much the Superman story. So it's like a Laurie Lamaris and Superman mashup because John Byrne really liked this comic book when he was a kid and to the fact that he brought it up again years later in an introduction. Uh, that's my, that's my that's theory. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like that. Hmm. Um, right, so um, my next question then is what did you like about this comic? What did I like about it? Well... Uh, it may be obvious already. I really like Marina. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? I really like Marina. Um, because again, she was in that comic that I read when I was a kid. I see, yeah. And, um, I think, uh, I was talking to my wife last night and I was saying, honey, I think I've got a thing for green chicks. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but like, um, Marina and Gamora were two characters that I remembered from my childhood as being like, oh, they're really cool because yeah. they're green. <laughs> um, but she also is a very sad character. Yeah. Um, she always is drawn with this sort of sad expression on her face. Uh, one of the things I liked about the Van Lente pack series that I mentioned before um, is that they completely flip her character. And in that series, she's just this hyper-aggressive uh, acting out all the time. She spent too much time on the internet. She's been frequenting um, uh, anti-human message boards. She's right. basically red pilled on humanity, <laughs> <laughs> and I love that take on her. Um, 
So I have a lot of affection for Marina, so I liked that. Um, a lot of this comic as well, in terms of just enjoyment for me, was like the unintentional laughs I got out of it. Okay. Um, so Puck, at the end, when he's comforting Namor, he says uh, something like, he's a lot like me, or he's a man who's a lot like me. And it's like, no, he's nothing like you. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, there, there could be, couldn't be two characters more unlike. And um, that, that sort of, to me, is just John Byrne fixating on Mikismo in a way, you know? That all these manly men like each other because they're all so manly together, but there's nothing there gay is a about it. And there's a bit of that <laughs> earlier as well with Wolverine when he says yes. that he's crossed paths with uh, Puck in the past in his days as a government agent. Yeah. Um, I think it's because John Byrne was trying to build up a mystique around Puck. Because mm. um, in the same way that we had that mystique around Wolverine uh, in X-Men. Um, when he was first introduced, we didn't know anything about him other than that he liked fighting. There is that about Puck. We know that he's been around the world, and he's—they met. I mean, they're pretty bold about it. They say he's crisscrossed mm. the world and seen things that we couldn't possibly imagine. And he keeps—he says that he learned uh, to fake his own death in the Orient. And he's been—and then in that little bit you were talking about there, he says that Namor reminds him because he's been the hero and the villain, the victor and the vanquished. So you're building up this so rich purple possum. prose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's his attempt to sort of give Puck mystery. Hmm. Um, yeah, and it's one of the things that I liked about Puck in his original run is that you don't know much about him other than what he does. Hmm. Um, whereas the others, other characters, so for instance, Marina, she's defined by her past, whereas Puck is defined by the present. Yeah. So. Yeah, and he's he's very much. I think I can imagine him being a really popular character if you're younger. Who Puck? I, yeah, if you're a oh, younger yeah. male reader in particular, because he just acts out all the time. Yeah. You know, so there's something that is very boyish about him in a way, and yeah, I can see that being an appealing trait for a character to have if you're a younger reader. Oh, yeah, it definitely is, because he enjoys having, uh, being able to fight. He's, just, he's like, scrappy, and if he kicks someone in the face, he's, like, really happy that he's had the opportunity to kick someone in the face. <laughs> um, yeah, so when he, um, when he rips off the Master's helmet, um, he's enjoying himself, I think. Yeah, and you can see that Byrne really makes that panel. That well, it's a splash page, isn't it, or it's just one page panel There's of one the, the page reveal where he does some acrobatics, grabs the helmet, um, lands, and then throws it at the glass. It's quite. It's a good dynamic page, actually. Yeah. Um, and, and then yeah, we so got this, this, this wounded himself. shot. And, yeah. and what yeah. I also like about that is that um, John Byrne has written him with a disability, and Puck is never maudlin about it. He enjoys mm. his time. So, yeah. Yeah. Puck is, is one of my favourites. Mm. Um, and like, I keep referring to the Mantler run. And I've, I think I've said on the internet somewhere that one of the reasons I started this podcast is that I wanted to, con I wanted to constantly explain how the Mantler run and the Burn run are different. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've started a whole podcast about that. But I mean, Mantler gives Puck a backstory, which is... Uh, goes against the central premise of Puck, um, right. and uh, and writes him in a way. And doesn't he's not as fun a character as when Byrne writes him. Um, right. It's a bit of a pity, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, right. So, uh, what else did you like? Sorry, I'm taking over. No, that's fine. Um, just I actually I think just the vague enjoyment of reading this quite packed issue. Uh, I mean, a lot happens in it, and um, that that is just enjoyable to see sometimes. Uh, it's just the overall sense of goals were accomplished here. <laughs> this yeah. is this is an issue where things happen. Um, because sometimes I dread going through those you know thick black and white albums of Marvel runs or DC runs, and like there's whole issues where there's just lots of talking and. Yeah. You can you can put yourself in the position of somebody reading them in the 1980s, and that would have been quite um, a 
quite a good read, I think. You would be sensible who these characters are, that you'd be investing in these characters. Whereas now I think you really do need a sort of issue to issue bang for your buck. Yes, you do, uh, yeah. You know, um, I mean, I think, comics are more expensive, for one thing. That's kind of what you want. You want, yeah. I, I got something out of this. And um, that was um, one of Byrne's issues with working with Claremont, is that um, mm. he said that Chris Claremont could just fill out a whole issue of people stood around talking about their feelings. Yeah. Uh, and he wanted to draw people acting out their feelings. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and in mm. some ways, Alpha Flight does feel like a, a counterpoint to his work, his time on X-Men. Um, and I think you could read it as that, as Byrne doing with Alpha Flight what he would have liked to do with X-Men. Yeah. No, I think uh, that's a good read. Yeah. Uh, what else did you like? Um, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I, um, I've got a lot of things I didn't like. Okay, no, that's it. That's interesting too. Go on. We can get stuck into that. Yeah. So, uh, um, right. Uh, page two. I think I've sent you this panel, uh, because my... I've got things I didn't like. We'll start uh, with page two. Page two. Let's get stuck into it. Because page one, giant metal fish, loving it. (laughs) Absolutely on board. Love the giant metal fish. I mean, um, if I'm going to be really, really pernickety about page yep. one, it's a big fish and its mouth <laughs> is like the deck, right? Yeah. And we see a figure on that deck and his cape is blowing. <laughs> so either he's got really good air conditioning or that cape is blowing unnecessarily. So do you think he's taken a reference from a naval comic and he's just literally transposed it to this underwater comic? Because <laughs> it should be sort of like a Captain Blood type with his cape behind him yeah. and caught in the wind. Is that what you think he's he's adopted? I think that's what's supposed to be going on, yeah. But um, mm. it's not something that I've actually got a problem with, but it is something <laughs> which is wrong. So, yeah. Look, the, the Plodex alien race installed some really good air conditioning on their spaceships, and that's what's going on there, you know? Yeah. Uh, he hasn't, he's mastered the entire vessel, he's mastered technology of this alien race, but he hasn't quite figured out the air conditioning, so oh, it's just no. on really high. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. He's such uh, one of those nice guy men that he's probably installed <laughs> a special machine which constantly blows his cape up wherever he is in the ship. He's doing a turn always. Yeah. He's practicing in the mirror. <laughs> I can totally see Master of the World do that. I, I'm 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 staring at this panel I've got to talk about. And I just I wanted yeah. to mention something else before I forget. Um do you think when they revamped Cyclops in the X Men um about ten years ago, where yeah. I think it was about ten years ago, where he suddenly adopted this look where he's got a very similar helmet where he had the X across his entire face yeah. with and just also like his face. one single point. So he's an actual yeah. Cyclops now, yeah. Yeah, and it looks a lot like the Master of the World design. I'm wondering if they borrowed it. It's, uh, uh, it's possible. Because mm. uh, yeah. it's an, it's an, he's an interesting-looking character, you he know, Master cool. of the World. Yeah. He's got something quite Kirby-ish about him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I like and, the fact that um, he part of his, comic, of his costume is always in silhouette as well, so he's got that black bodysuit bit, and that's always black. I like I like the design of it. Mm-hmm. I just don't like the character in the design. And if I want to dig in a little bit further on this, um, yeah. his origin story is very similar to the origin story that Fabian Nietzsche gave Apocalypse as okay. well, because they're both like ancient civilizations. They discover an alien spaceship. It takes them apart, reassembles them, sends them back into the world as these all-powerful characters. Um, so in, I think it was an issue of X-Force, Femini Jeza has like Apocalypse or Ensebanur encounter, um, what are they called? What are the Kirby aliens called? Not the Eternals, the, the ones, the giant statue people. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> ones. Ones. Is that them? No. No, the, the, the big aliens who are seeding all the planets and they're going around. I really should have researched this before I brought it up. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, he encounters these aliens, they turn him into Apocalypse and he's been flying this sort of uh, spaceship of theirs that looks like a pyramid all this time. Since ancient Egypt, he's been using okay. alien technology. And it's basically the same concept. Um, and I wondered, if, again, if like John Byrne came up with this idea, and then everyone's like, oh, okay, well, I hate everything except for this. <laughs> so I'm going to take that and use that in my character. Um, so anyway, yes, page yeah. two. 
Um, Master of the World is busy taunting them because he's such a nice guy. And yeah. he's taunting Puck and Namor. And he says, you are both still conscious. Amazing. Namor is being almost totally dehydrated while I have deprived Judd of almost all of the oxygen in his cylinder. Now, what I do in my day job, I do a lot of proofreading and this set me off. <laughs> this set me off in a really bad way because, okay, okay, so we've got almost twice in a sentence, which I'm going, no, 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 and then to- um, totally, almost totally, that's bad. And then Namor is being almost. What What is his being? What are you doing? And Denny O'Neill edited this. And I'm just like, did nobody catch this? Um, Namor is almost dehydrated or almost totally dehydrated. Or, yeah, that would have been fine. I, could, I would have chipped up. Yeah. If it said he is being dehydrated, that's mm. fine. But, yeah. yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah, I can see. I just oh red alarm you know I, I saw like this red mist descended <laughs> what is this um, but, but sorry now that we've got this picture of the master as like one of those nice guy internet people yes. I can just imagine you and him trying to have a conversation about something realistic but <laughs> arguing about the grammar of the arguments and he calls me a grammar Nazi <laughs> and I go but you're an actual Nazi <laughs> Um, yeah, totally. That's a sketch. Um, <laughs> um, and what else was there? Oh yeah, so I, I I guess this is something that I I love secretly, mm. but it's 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 really odd to me that Canada is this awful awful hellscape in the Marvel universe. <laughs> <laughs> like all the really horrible things that sort of sort of um, leftist journalism or leftist commentators started identifying about what American government was doing in the 60s, post-Vietnam, Count and Telpro, all this kind of stuff. And it turns out all of that was happening in Canada, in the Marvel Universe. (laughs) You had this evil government, you had these evil bureaucrats, you had these black ops, you had human experimentation, you had all this stuff going on in Canada. And Alpha Flight is is sort of... really, because there's no way that Canada would have had the resources to do that. Absolutely I know, and then, way. and top of all of that, in this issue, we have space aliens abducting people. <laughs> That's also happening in Canada. So, um, yeah, Canada is the worst place in the world. Is um, yeah, again, I, I was brought up with all these stories about how wonderful Canada was and how beautiful it was, and the, the educational system was great and all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm reading this comic book, and I'm going, "This is just propaganda." Um, <laughs> but I guess the the big no-no for me is just how John Byrne – there's this sort of sublimation of sex in this issue, and there's all this really uncomfortable stuff about Marina being made ugly and monstrous. Yes. And, you know, there, there's some uh, – I, I don't have the line in front of me, but there's some suggestion when her, her alien mate is introduced into the tank um, – and she, there's this flurry of activity in the water, and he's, oh, and there's this hint that she's actually sexually aroused by seeing the mate. I think mm. she says as much, but she, just, she doesn't use the words "I was sexually aroused." And John Byrne is here depicting this idea of female arousal or female attraction as a really, really bad, monstrous thing, and that just doesn't sit with me at all. It's really, really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, Kind of weird, and something of a recurring trope in a lot of uh, the you know, American comics from this period. And I was reminded of an issue of Excalibur, where okay. um, so this is Claremont, but you had Megan, who's this uh, fairy character, and the opening page was this shot of her face, and it was all wrinkled, and there was boils, and her face was enlarged, and she says, I'm so hideous! And again, it was all about her losing control, and losing control of her body, and then she becomes monstrous. And yeah. it's weird. Like, the, 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 these men these men writing about women in these really uncomfortable ways just bothers yeah. me a lot. There's, um, I've mentioned it before, but there. I am uncomfortable with Marina when she's good is pretty and when she's bad she's ugly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've mentioned that I've got a problem with that before. It's uh, yeah. 
Um, is it because I um, recorded and the so the episode previous to this one I recorded with my friend mm. Kate and um, she had a problem with Aurora. So um, I was like, yeah. oh yeah, Aurora, she's been written as a free spirit. She's in control of her sexuality. And Kate was like, well, if she's in control of her sexuality. She doesn't have to constantly wear a bikini. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Because um, it's like a man's version of a woman controlling her sexuality. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's clearly the evil version of her as well. Like the evil side of her is more provocative and more sexually available. And oh no, um, with Aurora it's different. The evil version of her is um, is. Oh, you're right. Sorry, she's the more repressed one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Yeah, and and again, like I don't mean to be a broken record on this, but on on the po- point of Aurora as well as Marina in the Van Vliet Pack series, they they do some work there. They do some tidying up of a lot of that. Mm. Um. So Marina uh, isn't demure, like both in her how she acts and how she looks. Like there's this sort of halfway point between her two states, yeah. and she's like that all the time. And again, I really like that this, that choice. But Aurora has the two sides of her personality once again come to the fore, and there's once again this whole sort of oh, which one is the real one, and which one is going to take control, and then there's this attempt to synthesize that within the story as well what if i'm all of this what if i am all of this totality again i like that as an idea um and it sort of speaks to how these writers who were in the 80s and 70s and 60s when they were writing about women with schizoid traits yeah um they they really they, they did it in a very offensive way you know um and it's it aurora is one of those characters who's really difficult to read about now she is. I think living in the 21st century and then reading back on these, it's easy to get funny about how problematic they are. But I sure. think it's worth bearing in mind that Byrne was genuinely trying to do good with those stories. Sure. So yeah. by introducing uh, the types of people that hadn't been represented in comics beforehand, mm. he was... Do, like, I mean, in the inclusion of having Roger Box as a character who um, is severely disabled in a wheelchair, um, but is, is treated as a character that's never mentioned. So you see him like mm. want, like um, going about his daily life, and, but his house has been set up in a way that it would be. And I think for where Byrne occasionally is clumsy, it's clumsy mm. because he's trying to do the right thing. Yeah. I think the counter to that is where he's not thinking about it. Um, and you have a character like Marina... Um, that where he's not intentionally trying to do good by that character, that um, some stuff sort of seeps out, and maybe the era takes over mm. from the author. There, there does seem to be a bit of genre dictating how he's writing these characters. Like these already established tropes sort of dictate how these characters can be done. I suppose yeah. whatever his intentions may be, you know, it gets lost in the mix. Yes, and yeah, Burn is very. Uh, aware of tropes as well, mm. and is he likes them? He thinks that comics should be done within those, and then he can he can break out of them. He can do sections of uh, panels where there aren't any drawing or anything like that. But um, it's because he's happy enough with <clears throat> sticking to the other tropes. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, was there anything else that you weren't particularly keen on? Um, let's see. We talked about Canada as the worst place in the world. It's <laughs> <That was> kind <laughs> of uh, that was kind of my major one. Um, the bad grammar, we got to that. Um, no, I mean, honestly, this I felt really lucky when you asked me to look at this issue because, yeah. um, I, as I said at the start, I really imprinted quite strongly on issue two or that sequence from issue two of the mass of the world being dissected and taken apart and reassembled. And... When I started reading this one, and I was like, "Oh, it's Marina and Master of the World again! This is brilliant!" Uh, <laughs> so I was really happy to see all that stuff. Um, uh. So I overall, like, I don't mean to. I, I, it's one of these things where it's your problematic fave, you know? Yeah. Because I was enjoying it, and then I ran into the Marina's sexuality stuff, and I was going, "What is this? What's going on? Come on, man!" You know? Yeah. <laughs> you. I, I was so happy. Um, <laughs> and then I just got swept away in this. Oh, yeah. He could have. Like, I mean, I was um, 
few months ago, I read this book. It was an Australian, sort of early noir Australian book from 1934. And it's called Twisted Clay. It's by a guy called Frank Walford. And again, it's about uh, a female character, a woman who is who is becoming increasingly insane. And that's sort of a hallmark of this genre of difficult women in these stories. But mm-hmm. Walford, while being exploitative, certainly, there is also a lot of empathy in his writing yeah. of this character. And of her, her use of sex and her use of her, how attractive she is to, um, ensnare men to do her bidding, all that kind of stuff. And I've, I found that a lot less troubling to read than some classic comic books, which would have been made 30, 40 years later. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that, it comes from comics where there's a sense of, well, we can get away with that because nobody's really looking at us. And you still have these men writing comics that they grew up with as boys. And they want to recreate the same stories that they remember. And part of that is they don't move with the times and they don't move it forward. And what I like now is that we've got so many challenges to that sort of old guard from new comic creators who are like, no, we're going to talk about queer stories and we're going to have yeah. a lot of fun doing it too. And yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so it's, it's sort of – it's interesting reading this series and reading uh, this particular issue because it feels like a message in a bottle from another time. Um, and there's something quite interesting, just that juxtaposition between what we're reading today and uh, looking back on these classic series and going, oh, okay, so they're definitely the needle has definitely moved. That there's definitely some progress that's been made. Yeah, no, that there has. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. So um, I have my own thoughts on this comic and stuff that I like about it because uh, I just have a tendency to to pat down the stuff that I'm not too happy about um, or compare to stuff it. that Let's go. Uh, makes me... So um, I like <laughs> how Kirby-ish this base is. So if you have a look mm. at how Byrne has rendered it, and I think uh, the master is his attempt at like a Kirby villain with that sort of bold design. And if you look at in the backgrounds when they're in the underground, that the machinery is done in like... It's, it's not there. It's not as full on as Kirby, but it's it's an attempt to be Kirby-ish, and I, I appreciate mm. that nod back. Um, I like the reveal of the alien, where because it, it's just eaten a baby in the in the previous issue, so that it's it's genuinely like a proper horrifying thing to see sort of an alien baby come out of <laughs> this mad this like. We could, and we never really see the alien either. It's always in, uh, it's always obscured by something, or it's uh, it's murky. Um, and yeah. Sort of Lovecraftian as well, and they they ink it really thick, which um, disguises its shape even more. Uh, everything else is um, quite finely inked, and this is done with a a bigger brush by the looks of it. Um, so quite like. I, th- I think you're really you're. You're really onto something with the Lovecraft reference as well, because you're right. I mean, when the first time we see it, it's just the tentacle. Yeah. And it's that, that sort of teasing of Lovecraft that, you know, he never describes the whole thing. He only describes parts of the thing. And the reveal um, of it isn't that the reveal is the look of horror on Namo and Puck's faces rather than the actual yeah. monster itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this Plodox monster always reminds me of Lovecraft. Uh, I, I suppose mm. it helps me in that respect that I haven't seen The Thing. So everyone else who sees it is like, oh, that's just like The Thing? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. But probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I like is that it's no secret that I am secretly in love with... It's no secret that I'm secretly in love with? It's no secret that I am in love with <laughs> Madison Jeffries. <laughs> Mr. Jeffries. Oh. Um... So it's nice to see him turn up here. He becomes a bigger focal point when Mantlo takes over in uh, about 15 issues time. And gradually, mm. and by issue 50, he is one of the central characters. But um, at this point, he's still on the side. Um, and we're just getting to know him. I really like his relationship with um, with Box, with Roger Box. Um mm. And how it's presented here. So when this is like them first meeting for the first time, it sort of gets lazily retconned in Mantlo's run that they knew each other forever. They've been best friends for a long, long time. And Box um, secretly had this 
um, he had mental problems that nobody was aware of because of the fact that he was disabled. And I've got problems mm. with that. But um, I really like yeah. the way that they're written in this comic. And when Byrne puts them together, um, they're good. They're friends on like a personality level rather than what they can do for each other. They've just got this friendship. Yeah. It's an unlikely friendship. So, yeah, I really like this introduction to them both. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's that. I still, I've, I was asked a long time ago to fantasy cast Jeffries, and I still haven't been able to. Um, I can't think of anybody who's. Do you know who you remind? Yeah, go on. He reminds me of the. Sorry, he reminds me of that guy from Balsar Galactica. Um, the and the actor himself was the son of a former prime minister, I think. Um, but he was the one. He was the. He was the act. He was the one who got left behind on the planet. And then he was seduced by the Cylon, who looked like his career mate. And uh, did, did you watch the Bowser Galactic series at all? No, I didn't. No. Oh no. Okay, this is completely wasted on you, though. I'm no, sorry. it's not. It's something uh, for me to go and Google later. Men who look like Medicine Jones. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Tan- Tahim Peniket is his name. Tamo Peniket. Okay. Um, okay, that's not going to do you any favors at all because um, he was also in uh, Altered Carbon. That's okay. the show, the adaptation of Altered Carbon. It was on. Did Netflix? Did you watch that one? No, no. I, it ah. if, it's, if it's on TV, just assume I haven't watched it <laughs> because I'm rubbish. I never keep up. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. But um, I think okay. you'd I'll, like. Did I'll you read? read um, it, yep. Sorry, go for it. No, go on. I was going if you get a chance to read uh, X Club by Cy Spurrier, okay. um, he has uh, your friend Jeffries enter a sexual relationship with the Danger Room avatar. Um, <laughs> so he's in love with a robot. Okay. That's, yeah, it's pretty good. That yeah, that sounds about right. He probably would. I mean, he later on he has a relationship with Heather, and marries mm. Diamond Lil. Uh, so yeah, he gets about a bit, uh, and it makes sense <laughs> that he would end up getting it on with a machine. So, yeah, yeah, especially since his power. And again, here. yeah, go on. Yeah, and again, uh, Temo Pennicut got it on with a robot. So you know, I'm just saying the casting yeah, there. The <laughs> developing, yeah. He does say that his um, he can duplicate his own parts, so he does. We all know what that means, mm-hmm. really. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that. Oh, so what we haven't mentioned is the most dramatic um, panel, which is also a page in his comic, which is at one point Puck rips off the master's helmet because he just wants something to lob at the window, um, and yeah. without realizing that it's connected to the master's head and then you get this reveal of the master having had half of his head ripped off like all the skin off his head fools yeah <laughs> look what you've done to me uh, yeah that's that was a, it's pretty it's a pretty horrible thing <laughs> to have done and when he pulls yeah. it up he goes stop what are you and then there's a proper like horrible little ah sound effect as it comes off yeah um, yeah do you reckon he's uh, mimicking anything in particular with that look? Do you think that looks drawn on a particular film from the time, or the, is there some reference for that? Because the the, the monster is clearly the know. thing. So, yeah. Because um, it's a very it's specific possible. look. It is a very specific yeah. look, yeah. I mean, he his beard reminds me of General Zod. <laughs> yes. So, he's got Zod's beard, and... I don't know. I don't know who because he comes back. Um, he gets written into somebody else's comic eventually, so he manages to survive the fact that he's lost half his head and his ship blows up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what you get. Uh, yeah. Oh, and there's also that bit where um, Namor gets rehydrated and then throws Marina through the. There's a spout of water that's coming in. He throws Marina through that out into the sea. 
Um, so that was quite good. Well, it's like, well, she's dead. Because <laughs> later on, he's like, oh, I, oh well, she's gone. Moving on. <laughs> well, uh, um, in in future comics, his um, his love for Marina leads to big problems in his own life. So he sacrifices a lot to be with his <clears throat> potentially evil love alien. Um, but yeah, that's handled in the Mantlo run. Again. Um, okay. So, I think I think we've j- covered just about everything that we wanted to. Is that fair? Hmm. Yeah. There's a lot going on, and I think we touched on most of it. <laughs> yeah. We've, yeah, I mean, we've I, touched I, it I a could, lot. It could be a whole other... <laughs> It could be a whole other diversion on stupid, sexy Namor, um, but we don't need to go there now. <laughs> There's a lot of content for stupid, sexy Namor. Yeah, I mean, my uh, when my son first saw him in a comic, he was like, what is this idiot doing? He's just wearing his pants. He's got stupid eyes. I do yeah. I do like that he's. Uh, you mentioned Kirby before in the Kirby influence. I do like yeah. that John Byrne still draws him like he was originally drawn, like yeah. the, the the eyebrows and that that sort of weird flat head. Like it's yeah. clearly he's he's still mimicking what he remembers. Yeah, and and Byrne was very much beholden to those to the comics because he he started as a fan and decided that he wanted to mm. work in comics based on being in love with comics. Um, yeah. rather than an artist who went into comics afterwards. So, um, yeah, he's totally beholden to what's happened in the past. Um, mm. In some cases like this, it's to the positive. In some cases, it's to the detriment, where he's constantly got to fill in gaps, which at the time nobody cared about. Um, mm. So, yeah, Byrne has a tendency to mansplain <laughs> um, via copious amounts of comic pages. Oh my God! Do you think the mass of the world is his alter ego? Oh, well, I just had I just had that thought actually, because you know how you know how in Infinity War and they've written Thanos to be, if you were like, well, I can see where he's coming from a little bit. Even to say that, but um, do you think Byrne was like, I can see where the master's coming from. He's better than everybody else, but he never gets a chance to shine, just like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, his, his people reject him, and he went out into the world and became better than them just to show them all you know yeah. and then he calls himself master of the world <laughs> <laughs> but he keeps failing as well and it, he never learns oh, he comes back he comes back every time yeah uh, like what's going on there yeah, yeah. there's a lot there's a lot to dig into there yeah uh, he is he's terrible um but yeah um, okay, right. Very well, good. That was Alpha Flight 16. Um, <laughs> if anybody, thank you for coming on. If anybody would like no to problem. find you on the internet, or if you have anything to plug, now is the time to tell everybody. Great stuff. Uh, yeah, you can find me. I've got a new spanking website set up, emmetokuna.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter. You can find me there. And uh, I think um, in a week's time, I don't know when this is gonna. When's this gonna air? Do you know? This will be. So um, let me get my calendar out by clicking on the little calendar. So the 26th is. So your this will come out on the 3rd of July. Ah, grand. We'll just miss it. Um, I'll just. I'll have been in Perth, the other side of this uh, continent. I found myself on, and I'm going to be giving a paper all about Australian superhero comics and how their sort of reaction to American superhero comics and the morality of American superhero comics. Australians are kind of going, nah, stuff that. (laughs) (laughs) They go a different way. Let's just spell it that way. Um, So that's going to be, I think that's going to be a paper and it's it's going to be in a journal somewhere. So that'll dub dub something. Yeah. So super expensive to get hold of, is what you're saying. (sighs) I'll see what I can do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, th- yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, no hopefully this recording has been okay. <clears throat> As I explained to you before recording, I'm currently sat in the uh, gallery of an art centre in Bishop Stortford, and um, there's a lot going on. There's some kids <laughs> being visiting the museum. 
Um, Zumba class is about to kick out, I believe, but that's I can hear that if the microphone can't. Um, so yeah. Uh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. It's like I said, it's guerrilla podcasting. It's you and the silence podcast, you know, taking yeah, yeah. their workplace into out. their homes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's quite nice, a nice little um, dovetail, is that the next issue in Alpha Flight is 17, and that's the first issue that we covered on the podcast, and we recorded that, me and my son recorded it, in the exact same place that we're recording now. Oh. Nice. Um, just on a phone while he was hiding under the table rather than uh, with me on a headset shouting at nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, if anybody would like to find me, I am Gareth A. Hopkins. I'm at Gerthink, which is G-R-T-H-I-N-K. That's on Twitter and Instagram and also .com. And um, yes, I haven't got anything to plug at the moment. Um, my art show's just finished and haven't got any new books out they will be out eventually uh hopefully this year if i get round to them but um i've got some little bits and anthologies coming up as well so yeah i'm currently this is i mean the reason i'm not doing any comics at the moment is i've just started a correspondence course on investigation and history of poltergeists and it's brilliant and i'm absolutely loving it um Ooh. so yeah i just wanted to drop that in there so that uh, everybody knows how cool i am um yeah, right. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, we'll hopefully you'll join us again on another episode of Alpha Popline. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank Cheers. 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 I, I agree. I agree. And like, I'm kicking myself now because I forgot to plug the podcast I do with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> which, because she has the rule where she's going, if we go over an hour, like, what's the point? Like, like, <laughs> and she's um, got the equipment. What is your podcast? So it's Hopscotch Friday. Hopscotch Friday, right. Yeah. Uh, it's on, it's, I'm still recording now, so um, I will, uh, yeah, we'll drop this awkward conversation in at the end, and then you'll have plugged it by accident. Perfect. That's perfect <laughs> marketing. I love it. Yes. <laughs>